The text for the sermon this day is that reading from Luke 2. I'll read again. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And in addition to that, the reading from Matthew, which was reflected in that Alleluia verse, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Those are the texts. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's actually kind of amazing that that one verse out of Luke, there's actually two pretty good, there's actually quite a few good sermons that could come out of just that one sentence. But I'm going to focus on that name of Jesus. I want you to think, think about your own name. My name, Neil, means champion from what I've read in books. And it doesn't reflect on my favorite football team, but that is what I guess what the name means. But it's not actually why my mom picked the name. The story that my mom told me was that way back in June, or I think it was June of 1969, I believe. She was down in the ba- she was up at Many Point uh, Boy Scout Camp in Minnesota, and she was watching the TV and she saw Neil Armstrong landing on, make, taking the first step on the moon. And my mom decided that one day she's going to name a child Neil, and so that's the history behind my name. In our day and age, we come up with a whole different whole set of reasons why we come up with a name. Some people, they just pull out the, the, na- the baby naming book or they go onto a website and they start searching it. Some people might name it after a favorite character in a novel or whatever. Or maybe they'll look at some of the names of the Bible. I notice that there are certain Bible names that just don't get selected. But, um, <laughs> but there's definitely a good number of them that get get used, they, people for some reason want to, nobody ever wants like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That'd be a great name, but because people just love to just say it all the time. But when we select the name of a person, we don't know what the future holds for that child. Every baby that is ever born, we don't ever, we, there is a mystery. We don't know what, what the next 10 minutes are going to be like. We don't know the next time they're going to cry. So the name is given not knowing the future. And hopefully that name matches. But in the case of Jesus, his name is very, his future was known, is known. And his name carried the full meaning of his destiny. Now the name Jesus is not actually the proper pronunciation of his name. See, it's kind of a, in the Greek, the name is Jesus. If you, which, when it came into the English, we don't have a good way to express 
the I with the breathing mark. And so what we used was a J, and it's supposed to be a soft J. But we always speak it with a hard J in Jesus instead of Jesus. But that is the name, that's the Greek name. Mary and Joseph were not Greek. They were Hebrews. And so the name in the Hebrew was Yeshua. Which if you know anybody named Joshua, it is of the same origin. And in fact, if you don't realize, I don't know if you realize this, but you probably know a lot more Hebrew than any of you realize. Because so many of our names are Hebrew. If you know anybody named David, Nathan, Samuel, Aaron, Joseph, Joshua, Sarah, I could go on and on. There's a whole slew of names that are very much Hebrew names. And as I mentioned, yes, Joshua is the Hebrew name for, is, the, is it the same as saying Yeshua? And the word, the name literally, it's taken, it literally means Yahweh saves. That's what the name of Jesus means. Yahweh saves. Which is why that name is so important that we don't lose the, mem the knowledge of that name, Yahweh. Because it is in the name of Jesus. It's actually in some of those other names that I mentioned before. In fact, whenever you say the word hallelujah, it's in there. Hallelujah, hallelujah literally means praise Yahweh. So what does Jesus save from? Why is that the name? And why Yahweh saves? That's actually quite significant. Especially given within that text is the circumcision of Jesus. Circumcision was an old covenant command. It was an old covenant law that all, all boys had to be circumcised. But you go all the farther back into the Old Testament and you go to the very beginning, you go to that familiar story of Adam and Eve, it was Yahweh who walked in that garden. It was Yahweh who said that the offspring of Eve would crush the serpent's head. It was Yahweh who spoke to Noah and saved his family through the flood. It is Yahweh who spoke to Abraham. It is Yahweh who gave his name to Moses. When Moses asked, who shall I say sent me? He said, I am who I am. In Hebrew, the word is Yahweh. Yahweh literally means I am who I am. Every time you see in your Bible, you pull out your Old Testament, every time you see Lord, L-O-R-D, in all caps, that is 
Yahweh is right in that spot. And so it was Yahweh who spoke through that burning bush to deliver the people of Israel out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. It is Yahweh who spoke to David and Solomon. It is Yahweh who spoke to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, to Ezekiel, to Daniel. All in ways that in all through all these things, he saved his people all throughout the Old Testament. But the reason he preserved Israel was because of that promise he made in the garden. Within the nation of Israel was the line to the Messiah, to the Christ child. He kept them alive to make sure that his promise that the Christ would be born. And in the garden they knew what it was, what it meant when he said that serpent's head would be crushed. And they would begin to understand it even better when they would have their first children. They were to be saved on account of their sin. They brought sin into the world. The consequence of that sin was that they had to leave the garden where they had everything there for them. All the food they could eat, plenty of warmth, no, nothing cold. Life was wonderful. They were expelled from it because of their disobedience. And the promise was given that they would face death. Something they'd heard about, but they had never seen. But they did see it when Cain murdered his brother Abel. We read that text so fast, and we've heard it so many times. But any of you who've ever been a mother or a father, think about how horrible that would be to learn that one of your children killed the other child. Now realize the fact that they had never seen death before that happened. Cain killing Abel is one of the most tragic moments of all the Bible when you realize the context of when it happened. And as you read through Genesis 4, You read that more and more the world fell into sin and it became more and more corrupt and it led to the flood. And after the flood, things did not change for long. They they got bad again. And it all spiraled down all the way to our own day. I mean, right now, last night was New Year's Eve. Do any of you think that the world was being perfectly innocent yesterday? There's a reason why, statistically, this is, if New Year's Day lands on Sunday, it is the worst attended day of the church year. Because, we know it, many people are probably too drunk to come. 
to put it very bluntly. That, and that's all over our country. It's not just here, it's everywhere. And that doesn't account for the other sinfulness that was, that was carried out last night. But the thing is, is we don't want to be, but don't be tempted and say, well, I didn't do that, so I'm on, I'm on God's good page right now. Because I, never, I didn't do that. I went to sleep before the ball even dropped. Which I know I did. But that does not mean we are without sin. Just even think of this way. Even if you did not have a late night, I would not be surprised if some of you who are here right now woke up this morning and sat there and the, laid there in the bed and debated, ah, oh, do I really want to get up right now? Don't worry, the pastor has, goes through that too. And it's one of the things that I realized as I was actually even thinking about this. Is when we come to church... What is our attitude? Why do we go? As a pastor, I can tell you that I fall into the sin of the fact that many times I, I believe that it's because I come for the same reason you go to wherever you work. There are days where, well, I have to be there. Not because I have to be there on account of what Christ tells me, but on account, that's what I'm called to do. That sounds weird to think of, but I guarantee it, every pastor has that, because we, too, are frail. We, too, are sinners. We, too, don't, do, don't want to do what we're supposed to do. Our sinful nature it infects us all. And it manifests itself in so many different ways. Each person has their own unique temptations. And it's one of the reasons why we can never get high and haughty about how one person struggles with a sin and we say, ha, I don't struggle with that. I'm so much better. Because if that person was paying attention, they could look right at your life and say, well, I see you do that. I see you do this. Person does not have to look long to find where our idols are, where our sins are. And it's because of that sinful nature that we face death. It's because of a world of sin that we have the grief that we have experienced in the last week, last couple weeks. That is what Jesus came to save us from. That's what that name means. Yahweh saves us from sin, death, and the devil. Because without him, and I talked about this last night, because if you watch the meat, if you watch the news, I guarantee it in the last few weeks, you've heard of a whole multitude of celebrities who've died in the last year. And a whole, there's been a lot of grieving because there's 
memories of movies and songs, performances that all these people did. So like the beginning of the year, we had the guy that played Severus Snape or Hans Gruber in the Die Hard movies. Uh, Alan Rickman died at the beginning of the year. Along the way, Muhammad Ali died. This last week, Carrie Fisher, who played Princess Leia, died. Debbie Reynolds, her mother, who was in uh, Singing in the Rain, she died. The actor of Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder, he passed away this year. Any of you watch MASH, by the chance? The show MASH? The guy that played the priest, he passed away yesterday. All these talk on the news about all these famous people who have died. And there's actually a bit of a tragedy there. Not, I mean, death itself is a tragedy. No matter who dies. There's nothing wrong with grieving that one of your beloved celebrities died. Because, the, have you ever heard the word, the day the music died? Where did that happen? Clear Lake, Iowa. Whenever, whenever one of these artists die, you have to remember, really, a music or an art died. And art is one of the greatest expressions of humanity. You should read the way Luther writes about music, how important it is. He considers it one of the greatest gifts God ever gave to man. And I know one of the things that gets tempting is people try to make a comparison between the death of a soldier and the death of a celebrity. And it's, we should be mourning both. Because you have to remember, what, did this, what is a soldier defending? The Constitution of the United States. And this nation. Could you imagine if this was a nation where you had no art, no music, no drama of any kind. And I'm going to talk about regular life drama. That would be wonderful. But I'm talking about acting or whatever. Stage, whatever. Imagine if we had a world where there's no literature. No books. Would that be really a country you'd want to die for? It would be a pretty pathetic country. The First Amendment is freedom of religion. But also a speech and the press. Two things being expressed by those artists. But the great tragedy in these deaths is if you watch the me when you watch the media, they're trying to cope with how to deal with this death. And they're trying, they realize they can't do anything. They're feeling helpless. Because in our secular world, and this is where the tragedy actually gets greater. Do you know what religion Muhammad Ali was? Muslim. Many of these celebrities, I'm not going to say all of them, but many of them were not Christian. And many of the people reporting on it are also not Christian. They have no sense of hope. And that's why the death is hitting so hard. Because in a world that is obsessed with control, controlling everything, death when it happens, and we're talking about death of natural causes, we can't do anything to stop it.
Which is why faith in Jesus is so precious. That name is telling you that when we face death as believers, it is not the end. It is the beginning of something so much better. What you see in this world, the great the joys that you've had in this world, don't come even close to the joy that is awaiting you. The joy in heaven, the joy in paradise. We deserve the prison cell of hell, but we get a mansion. One of the things I like in the King James in John 14, it says that in my Father's house are many... In the ESV, it says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. The NIV does it that way, too. And the reason is, is because our language kind of confuses people. And when we hear the word house, we think of a building. But house in, can also mean like the house of... I don't know, the house of Arthur. Or something like that. Now it's a family. The house is the, it's the people who are under like a single father or a single last name. So for instance, for me, it would be like the house of Wemus. When you read in the father's house, that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about a building. Because if you say, which is why they translate it as rooms. But in the King James, they get it better. It's actually, in my father's house are many mansions. If you think of house as a building, that doesn't make sense. It's like, how could you have a bunch of mansions in a house? You can't. But you can have a family who everyone lives in a mansion. That's what is awaiting you is a mansion with food to your greatest delight. We're with wine, the best of wine that you've ever had. And Luther was very much of the belief that there's probably really good beer there too. If you ever read some of his writings, he was German, they like beer. But <laughs> that is what we await. That's what Jesus means is that by his blood shed on the cross, he saved us from sin, he saved us from our judgment, and he guaranteed us a place in his house, in his father's house, in a mansion, in a place where we have no hunger, we will never see death again, in a place where there is music that no ear has ever heard, and it will never end. That is what awaits us. So I'm going to put to you what I put to the people last night. I actually did two different sermons, by the way. Because last night was New Year's Eve and I had a different sermon. But how many of you do New Year's resolutions? I'm not saying if you complete them. How many of you at least think about it by chance? If you don't, it's actually a good, I think it's actually good practice because it helps you, 
It's a good way to kind of just better yourself. Granted, a lot of times we don't make it past the first day or hour. But I want to challenge you to make a New Year's resolution that you can even pass on to your family or friends. Make, as we have seen, a year of so much grief. And it's very, and I would not doubt that this year we will see more of it. Spend time with the one who is the source, the solution to grief. Our temptation is when things get bad, when life is hard, to withdraw from church, to withdraw from God. I've seen that many, many times. But that's very, that is very much like seeing another person get sick and deciding that when you get sick, you will refuse to go to the doctor. That doesn't make sense. When you're sick, you go to a doctor or you get medicine. You don't decide to not get medicine because another person got sick. We come to church because we are frail. We come to this place because we are dying. If you pay attention to the liturgy, much of it is preparing us for death. Because we don't know when it's going to happen. If anything's been told us this last week, we don't know when, where, how it's going to happen. It can happen at any point. It may, not, it may happen today. Hopefully not, but it might. And it doesn't matter how old or young you are. It can happen to anyone. I have plenty of pastors that can tell you about the death of one-year-olds, two-year-olds. That is why we need to be with Christ. Be in his word. Come to the divine service when you can. Receive the Lord's Supper when you can. If you know people who are not able to get out, make sure that I, or whoever their pastor is, knows about it so they can visit and they can bring them communion. That is your job as a family. If on day outside of that, do devotions. Read your Bible every day. That's why those congregational prayers are there. That's why I encourage our confirm. Well, actually, I don't encourage. I require our confirmants to be doing that every day. Whether they do that or not, that's another question. But they're supposed to be doing it every day so they can get in the habit of reading the Bible. Not just the scripture you like, but even the text that you don't like, you don't enjoy reading. You should be reading as much of the Bible as you can. Because the thing is, is when we are away from Christ, the devil is ready to pounce and devour but when we are in his word, we have a mighty fortress that the devil is afraid of. And it's very hard to take it down. Be in his word for 2017, 18, 19, 20, 
until your last breath. Because Jesus, Yahweh, Yeshua, saves. He saved you. In his name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand to sing, Created Me a Clean Heart. <clears throat>